Welcome to Desirability Alt, where we'll explore the intersections of disability, desire, and alternative relationships. I'm your host, Angela Carr. This podcast is intended for an adult audience who identifies with or is curious about alternative relationships, including kink, BDSM, non-monogamy, total power exchange, and more. This content is not suitable for those under the age of 18. Get ready, listen by yourself, or gather with your partners and enjoy this episode. Welcome back to Desirability Alt. Happy Pride Month. Today I'm going to talk about pride. Pride around my queer identity and pride around my disabled identity. I'm going to share my coming out story. Then I'll talk about ways to be inclusive of queer folks and disabled folks who enter our kink community. In this episode, I'll discuss how to include new kinksters who may be queer or disabled at a munch or another event. In the next episode, I'll talk about ways to adapt BDSM play for folks with disabilities. So let's start with my coming out story. As I mentioned in previous episodes, I was married before I realized I was bisexual in my 20s. I stayed married and I started dating other people. I didn't come out to my family or anyone else for a long time after that out of fear and shame. I felt fear because I thought no one would understand why a married woman would want to date other people. I felt fear that others would judge me and say I no longer loved my husband. What did I do with that shame I was carrying? I began to abuse my body. Some people abuse their bodies with drugs or alcohol. I abused my body by compulsively overeating. I'm a food addict and a compulsive overeater. That is another part of my personal story. I found help for this by going to Overeaters Anonymous meetings. Overeaters Anonymous, or OA, is a 12-step program similar to AA or NA. There I found other compulsive overeaters like myself who were struggling and finding recovery. Now you may ask, what does being queer and being disabled have to do with my compulsive overeating? I share about my addiction and my recovery in my OA program, as it's also part of my coming out story. Before program, I spent a lot of time wearing different masks in my life. I was this person at work, this person with my family, this other person with strangers. It took many years in my recovery program to come to accept who I am and share who I am with the world. Before program, I wore the mask of a heterosexual woman. I was actually a closeted bisexual. I didn't think I could come out to my family, the family who taught me to believe in a judging and punishing God. When I started going to OA, I learned more about spirituality rather than religion. I learned that I could pray to a higher power of my own understanding. I started to believe in a loving God. 
I'll share more about my spirituality in another episode. In OA, I found people who accepted me. I went to a weekend-long retreat in the fall of 2010. During this retreat, there were several workshops on acceptance, 12 steps, and other topics. One of the workshops I attended was on sexuality. There were people there I knew from my local meetings. There were other people that I had never met before. Folks shared openly in this workshop about sex and relationships. This workshop made me feel safe. I raised my hand and told everyone in the room that I was married to a man and I was also bisexual. What happened? After the workshop, we gathered for fellowship. My friends in the program either said, good for you, or they continued talking with me about the rest of the weekend. No one admonished me. No one treated me any differently as I had feared. At this retreat, I was so comfortable that I was able to share who I was. This room full of OAers showed me love and acceptance. Now, even today, I appear as a cishet or straight woman. I was biologically born female, and I identify as female. I'm also in a relationship with a man. When I came out to other folks, I've had mixed reactions. Some family members already knew what I was trying to deny. They had met my girlfriend, who I had introduced them to as my friends, and they figured it out. It's funny how we sometimes think we're doing a good job at hiding our true selves, but those around us know us, sometimes better than we know ourselves. Others that I have come out to didn't quite understand my identity, and some of them still don't. I've had people who think that I used to be gay and I'm not anymore. I've had to correct them. For me, it's important to share my queer identity and educate others that just because I'm with a male partner does not mean I'm no longer queer. I will be honest, I had dealt with some imposter syndrome when it comes to my queer identity. I'm in a relationship with a cis man today. So I've asked myself, am I using the word queer correctly? Am I queer enough? I have come to the realization that I am. The B in LGBTQ is just as important as the other letters. Bisexuals face their own set of prejudices from the straight and queer community. Bisexuals get negative comments all the time about, well, they're really straight or they're really gay, they just don't know it. I use the term bisexual and more recently queer for myself. Today I prefer queer because I feel it encompasses my kink and leather identity as well as my bisexuality. I also like using the word queer as an umbrella term that encompasses everything except cishet. And I like the fact that we're taking a word that used to be derogatory and we're now reclaiming that word in a positive way. I also use the term bisexual as I identify with the bisexual history and bisexuality also incorporates my own personal history. 
Today, a more recent term being used is pansexual. Pan is being attracted to someone regardless of gender. Now, as a bisexual woman over the past 20 years, I've always been attracted to the person rather than whatever gender they are or whatever body parts they have. Gender and body parts or sex have never made much difference in my attraction to people. I still refer to myself as bisexual though because for the past 20 years I felt that I've been attracted to the person and not necessarily the gender of that person and I've called myself bisexual. Today the definition of bisexuality has also changed to being attracted to two or more genders. You may also see the term bi plus, which I really like. Today and going forward, I could be attracted to people of all genders, whether they're cis, trans, or non-binary. I've called myself bisexual for the past 20 years. I've been proud to be bisexual, and I still am. I personally don't feel the need to change my identity to pansexual. I respect other people who use the term pansexual for their own identity. I choose to stay with the term bisexual or use the more umbrella term of queer. So use whatever terms you identify with most. Whatever term you use is a personal choice, but no one should be condemned for the terms that they use to describe their own identity. It's important when it comes to gender and sexuality that we don't make any assumptions about people. We don't make assumptions about what someone's gender or sexual orientation may be, but instead we use gender neutral language and ask someone what their pronouns are. We should also ask what identifiers they use. I want to address terminology. There are newer terms that you may not be aware of when it comes to gender or sexuality. Two of these newer terms are non-binary or gender non-conforming. These terms refer to the idea that gender is not binary. It is not male or female. It's more along the lines of a continuum. And some people may not identify as either male or female. Their gender is somewhere along that continuum. These folks also may use other pronouns such as they or them rather than the traditional he or she. If you don't know someone's gender, it's okay to ask them what pronouns they use. It's actually preferred among the queer community that you ask instead of misgendering someone. Also, when you are referring to someone's partner, you don't want to assume the gender of their partner. I recommend using gender-neutral terms. So instead of saying, bring your husband to the picnic, say, bring your spouse or bring your partner to the picnic. Use that gender-neutral language with everyone. Now using gender-neutral terms and practicing using correct pronouns may require a little practice to get used to. Even for me, I'm in my mid-40s and learning this was new for me. I feel like people in their 20s and 30s are much more comfortable with this language than I am. I have accidentally misgendered people just purely out of 40 years of habit. It takes time, but I am willing to listen and I'm willing to learn. If I do make a mistake and misgender someone, 
I apologize and work on correcting my language. Another recommendation I have is when we have events such as munches and we're using name tags, a simple way to show inclusion would be for all of us to put our pronouns on our name tags. This includes cisgender folks putting their pronouns on name tags. This simple act makes someone who may be trans or non-binary feel safe to tell us their pronouns. I gave a workshop at the OA retreat last year entitled Extending a Hand to LGBTQ plus Compulsive Overeaters. I've adapted this workshop to other groups that want to be more inclusive as well. Now in terms of my disability, in the past I wore the mask of a sweet, helpless little girl. The reality was I was carrying a lot of anger. Not anger about my disability. I was never angry at God because I couldn't run or because I needed crutches. I was born with a disability, so this has always been my reality. Having a disability is just part of who I am. It's just like having brown hair or wearing glasses. What I was angry about was how people treated me differently because of my disability. Now my family and close friends never treated me any different. It's usually strangers or acquaintances who don't know me well. I'll talk next about how I was treated differently by folks, and then I'll give some tips for communicating with people with disabilities when they enter the kink scene. I recognize that most people aren't used to being around someone like me using crutches or seeing someone using a wheelchair out and about. So it may make people feel uncomfortable. What makes me angry is when people talk to me as if I'm a child. I can't tell you how many times I've been patted on the head or how many times I've been prayed for by complete strangers. What did I do with that anger? I never showed people that I was angry. I kept a fake smile on my face while my blood was boiling. And then I'd go home to my refrigerator. I took that anger out on myself. I couldn't take it out on the person who said it because they didn't know any better. They didn't realize that behavior or statement they made was being offensive. When people would overstep my boundaries, I would say to myself, well, they mean well, and I'd let them overstep. Today, I'm in recovery. Now, I don't expect everyone to know the right thing to say or the right thing to do right away, which is why I don't snap at people. But I am learning to be more assertive. I will ask for help when I need it. If someone offers help to me and I don't need the help, I will say no thank you and I'll continue doing what I'm doing independently. It's actually really important for me to stay as independent as possible for as long as possible. If someone says something I don't appreciate, like telling me I'm inspirational, just for going about my day. They likely don't know that this may be the 10th time today someone has said that phrase to me and how exhausting that gets for me. Today, I put that anger towards good use and I use my voice to educate. Now, let's talk about how to support people with disabilities in the kink scene. 
I want to say that even though we have a lot of work to do to support people with disabilities in the scene, I believe we are way ahead of other communities and way ahead of the vanilla world. I often say the only reason I became a kinkster rather than a swinger is because when I went to a swingers meetup at a restaurant with my husband, no one came over to talk to us. We sat in a corner by ourselves. Now this may not happen at all swingers events, but this was my experience. I have a feeling that everyone there knew who they wanted to go home with that night, and they were not interested in talking with us. When we went to our first munch, on the other hand, a lot of people came over and talked with us. So we entered the kink world. I feel like I was much more accepted in the kink community than in the vanilla world or even the swinger community. People in this lifestyle talked with me, they answered my questions about kink, and they didn't focus solely on the fact that I had a disability. They didn't treat me like I didn't belong there. I saw other people like me who were overweight. I saw other people using canes and who had other types of disabilities. Now initially I had no interest in BDSM, but I wanted to meet other poly folks. So I joined the online community. And after being online for a while, I finally looked for a munch in my area. It can be scary for anyone to come out to their first munch. We don't know what to expect. We don't know what type of people will be there. It's even harder for folks with disabilities with all the barriers that we face. Accessibility, of course, is the first issue we encounter. Once we find an accessible munch, then we also have to find accessible transportation. Those of you with disabilities may know how hard it is to get an Uber or a Lyft if you have a walker, wheelchair, or crutches. We also want to be safe, so we may hesitate going somewhere alone. I was able to bring my husband out to munches and play parties. I honestly don't know if I would have done so on my own. So how can able-bodied folks support people with disabilities in the scene? I think aside from having accessible locations for munches and parties, we can support people with disabilities coming into the scene by going over, introducing ourselves to them, and starting a conversation. And don't overlook folks because they may be doing something you think is strange. Let me give you an example. Whenever I walk into any room, because of my mobility and because of my bladder issues, I will always sit at the end of a table or the end of an aisle. I will always look for a spot close to the door in case I need to get out quickly to a bathroom. Now there are many times because of this where I'm sitting far away from other people in the room. I'll say hello and smile, but sit by myself. To others, that often appears standoffish, or like I don't want to participate in the discussion. But that is not the case. Safety and getting out will always be my first priority. So I will sit by myself and wait until others pass me to start up a conversation. Something that has always helped me is when people come over and meet me where I'm at. What I found when I went to my first munch were people who were very much like me. 
Although they didn't all have disabilities, many of them also felt like outsiders and felt different. I felt at home with them. So how can we support people with disabilities in the scene? First, we have to think about accessibility of munches and play parties. Now, when it comes to accessibility, the first thing people think of is, are there any steps? But that quickly becomes, oh, I forgot there's that one step. Or, oh, I forgot the bathroom is not wheelchair accessible. Saying it's okay will carry you down the steps is not access. So if you're an event organizer, please do not advertise your event as accessible just because there are no stairs. There are a lot of other things to consider. Do your research on the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, and public accommodations. So now let's say a disabled person comes out to your munch. Now what? If you see someone with a disability, especially if they are sitting by themselves, you can go over and introduce yourself to them. Now I know what you may be thinking, what do I say? How do I talk with someone who has a disability? Will I say something wrong? Many people have that fear. Here are my suggestions. First, please talk with us the same way you would talk with other people. Most of us will not bite your head off if you make a mistake. We may politely correct you. Don't take offense to that. Try to learn from that experience. If you are trying and learning, we appreciate it. Be mindful of the language you use. There's a lot of talk about language we use for people with disabilities and how we refer to people with disabilities. Just like I mentioned when talking with someone who is queer, use the identity that they prefer. You can ask them how they identify. So for me, I identify as disabled. Other people may use other terms. Some may say differently abled, they may identify as crippled or something else. Now, I would caution you against using the word crippled. That's one of those words that I would advise against using unless you're using it as your own identifier or you know that person very well. Similar to the word queer, some people are now using the word crippled as a positive identifier and reclaiming that word. But I would be very careful and not use it unless you know that person very well and you know that they use that as their own identifier. You may also hear the terms person first language versus identity first language. Person first language became popular maybe 20 years ago when I first became an advocate in the disability community. I tend to use it a lot because that's how I was trained. It's the idea that you focus on the person rather than the disability in language. So if I were using this, I would say I am a person with a disability. Identity first language puts the identity first. So I would say I am a disabled person. Personally, I'm fine either way but ask the person you're speaking with how they like to be addressed. Similar to asking someone's pronouns, you wanna ask how the disabled person identifies. Now, what about expressions such as, it's nice to see you? 
to a blind person, or let's run to the store to someone using a wheelchair. Then you think, ah, I said the wrong thing. Don't sweat it. We understand what you're saying. We know there's no malice in your language with these expressions. What about offering help? Now, I appreciate it when someone offers to help me. I do not like it, though, when someone assumes that I need help. There is a difference. Please do not make assumptions when offering help to people with disabilities. Don't touch them, their wheelchair, or crutches without their permission. Ask if you can help before doing anything. When I open a door with my two crutches, often I will lean on the door for my balance. And if someone comes up behind me and I don't see them, and they grab the door, I'm at risk of falling over. So I have to be very careful whenever I approach a door to see if someone is coming up behind me. They think they're helping, but I could actually fall. Also, if you ask someone if they need help and they say no thank you, please respect that. For me, even if I may be slower than most people at doing something, I usually prefer to do things myself. And I get aggravated when someone insists on helping me. Please don't talk down to people with disabilities. We are not children. Please also do not say you will pray for us or tell us how brave we are if you don't even know us. We do not want pity. We want equality. Talk directly to us rather than talking to the person next to us when asking a question or making a comment that concerns us. Recognize that some groups, like people with autism or deaf people, do not consider themselves disabled. Deaf people often refer to their own deaf culture and do not consider deafness a disability. Make eye contact when you talk with a deaf or hard of hearing person. Many may read lips. Even if a deaf person is using an interpreter, continue to make eye contact with the deaf person and talk directly to them rather than talking and looking at their interpreter. If you see someone who has a service animal, like a service dog, please do not run over to pet the animal. If you do, you're distracting the animal from working and assisting the person. If the person is seated and a munch for a while, ask them if you can pet the animal. But wait until the person is settled and make sure you ask permission first. Don't assume that somebody does not have a disability because you don't see them using any devices. Many people have invisible disabilities or chronic illnesses. If we say we are disabled, believe us. Don't question people about why they don't work or why they have a certain access need. Believe us. What if there's a blind person at your munch? Include them in the conversation. Give them your name when you talk with them. If you're sharing a picture on your cell phone with the group, make sure to describe that picture to them. Let's go back to language. Be careful about the language you use to describe people without disabilities. Do not use the word normal. 
Instead, you can say words like able-bodied or non-disabled. I mean, really, what is normal anyway? Certainly, there are folks out there that would say kinksters are not normal. There are folks out there saying many groups are not normal, so much so that I wouldn't want to be normal. I think the most important thing to take away from this episode is to not make assumptions about people. Don't make assumptions about someone's gender, their sexual orientation, or their disability. Don't assume what we need or assume how we identify. Ask. What other concerns do you have when talking with someone with a disability? What other suggestions can you think of to support people with disabilities in the scene? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Today, I can express my feelings in a healthy way. I can ask for what I need. I also educate people because you can't know what you haven't been taught. If either the disability community or the queer community don't speak up and let people know how we feel, the behaviors and feelings will continue to cause strife. We are all different, so I can't expect folks to understand my experience unless I share it with them. We don't learn unless we listen to one another. I want to thank you all for being willing to listen. That's my story. I'm Angela. I'm a queer, disabled kinkster. This is who I am and who I share with the world today. The more I share with the world about who I am, the stronger I become. I am strong and I am proud. At the end of every episode, I'll be posting a question for you to consider. Now that you've heard my thoughts on ways to include folks with disabilities, I want to hear your thoughts. What are some other ways we can support people with disabilities in the scene? How can we support people with different types of disabilities? How can we support people with chronic illness? How can we support people who are neurodivergent? I want to share others' experiences here, not just my own. I'm listening. Go to desirability.com, that's D-I-S-I-R, ability.com, and share your thoughts with me. Desirability Alt was created and hosted by me, Angela Carr. Opinions expressed are from my own personal experience or that of my guests. Did you like what you heard today? Be sure to follow Desirability Alt wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time, you can also find me at desirability.com or on any social media at desirability. That's D-I-S-I-R, ability. Thank you for sharing this journey with me.